Lawrence. Good morning. So good to be here with you this morning. I hope you brought your Bible. And if you did, go on and open that up to Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 21. The same verses we looked at last week. Um, if your uh, preference is a Bible app or something like that on your phone, go on and get that out too. Um, but last week we focused on these verses. We walked through these same verses, Matthew 5, 21 through 30. And, but we really focused on, so even if you missed last week, I'm going to try to catch you up, okay? So last week we focused on these two commandments that Jesus is talking about. And what Jesus brought up was do not murder and do not commit adultery. And he brought those up as a way to reinterpret the Old Testament or what they would call their Bible, their scriptures, right, the Hebrew Bible. He, he brought those two things up to show them that, Jesus, that, that sin is not first an action we take, Sin is a desire of our heart and a bent of our heart. And so long before murder occurs, anger has already happened in the heart. Long before adultery occurs, lust has already happened in the heart. And that was the whole point of last week's sermon. We skipped over several verses that were uncomfortable to skip over because they're full of meat and important stuff. But I wanted to save those for this week. And so if you missed last week, I do want to recap with, man, just one awesome statement. And this, is, uh, this really sums up what we were trying to get across last week. Speaking of um, the adultery and the lust uh, occurring in the heart before adultery, this was a quote I read this week. It is not the lustful looking that causes the sin in the heart, but the sin in the heart causes the lustful looking. The lustful looking is but the expression of a heart that is already immoral and adulterous. You see, this is the point Jesus was trying to make, that it's not about, I kept doing this last week, if you're here, and it didn't make any sense, but it's these actions that we occur, these things that we do. Jesus says sin occurs long before we ever get to the physical action because it's, it's a movement of our heart. And so sin is, is, exists in the heart. It affects our desires. And as I said last week, our prayers must begin to shift as believers. Our first prayer shouldn't be, Lord, keep me from temptation. Our first prayer should be, Lord, change the desires of my heart to long for you. So that was last week. This week, we're going to be looking at these other verses that kind of come around this. Um, they're going to give us more insight into the seriousness of sin. Um, that's all we're going to talk about today, okay? It's going to be a lot of fun. Sounds fun, doesn't it? Encouraging message. You're going to love it, I promise. All right, so I'm going to read the whole thing, and then we'll come back. I'll pray, and then we'll come back and look at it. Um, it's a lot of verses, and I'm not a great reader, so bear with me. You have heard that it was said to our ancestors, do not murder, and whoever murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, whoever is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Whoever insults his brother or sister will be subject to the court. Whoever says, you fool, will be subject to hellfire. So if you are offering your gift on the altar and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled with your brother or sister and then come and offer your gift. Reach a settlement quickly with your adversary while you're on the way with him to the court, or your adversary will hand you to the judge and the judge to the officer, and you'll be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will never get out of there until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery, but I tell you, everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of the parts of your body than your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of the parts of your body than your whole body to go into hell. Let me pray. Father, we thank you that we do get to open up your word. And God, you help us through the Holy Spirit um, 
to understand it. And so, God, I pray that today, um, as God, we look at uh, something pretty serious, God, something pretty heavy. God, I pray that you just open our hearts and minds to hear uh, from you. And God, not um, God, protect us from offense. God, protect us from sorrow. But God, let it only be repentance in this house today. We love you and we thank you. And we ask, as we always do, to be with us and teach us to know you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I have a men's group that meets every Thursday at 1130. Um, shameless plug here. Men, uh, it's not an every week thing. We're not going through a study together. But if you're working from home or you have Thursdays off and want to come hang out with us every once in a while, we meet at the sketchy Casablanca on 72 um, behind the really nice Las Trojas. Behind that, that's where we meet um, in the little strip mall there. Uh, but it's a lot of it's a lot of good. But um, Kelly and I love Mexican food. That really was just a shameless plug for my group. I encourage you to come, in. It's awesome. Um, however, Mexican food is important. So Kelly and I both really do love Mexican food. And there's one thing that happens every time the waiter or waitress comes to your table, and they're about to sit the plate down in front of you. They say two words: "Hot plate." Hot plate. Hot plate. Um, I appreciate that. Two things: I appreciate that my plate is hot. That assumes that the food probably is too, and I appreciate that. I don't want a cold plate. But there are two types of people in the world, those that trust the waiter and those that don't, right? I am one who trusts. You tell me it's a hot plate, I trust you. I'm going to do the fist bump thing where you just kind of hit it quick and move it across the table. Some of you uh, are not as trusting, and you're going to grab it and try to pick it up, and you're going to burn your fingers and maybe even spill your plate, right? The, the waitress comes, and she warns you, but you underestimate her warning. Today, we're going to look in this passage. That's exactly what Jesus is doing. Jesus is warning us of something a lot worse than a finger burn. He's warning us of sin. And in the reason he has to do this is the same problem was in the first century as it is in the 21st. We underestimate the heaviness and the hotness of sin, right? Sin is a hot plate that we don't need to underestimate. That's your terrible exegesis of the day, all right? So we're going to talk about this, three things. Now, each one of these, like I've probably preached on before and went a totally different direction, but you guys have learned of me since January that I'm going to say it, I'm going to say it again, context matters. When you are reading the Bible, you don't need to take four verses and think you understand them. You need to read the larger context. And so I'm going to do something today that I've never done. God blew me away this week as I read this whole section. Like, together, it made so much more sense. And so I hope it does for you today. You probably have read these verses before if you've studied your Bible a lot, but I pray that God helps you see how they all fit together. Number one, if you're a note-taker, sin affects our worship. As I say that, no one goes, wow, I had no idea, Heath. That's amazing. But hang with me, because Jesus does say some things that are going to catch us a little off guard, I think. Um, it did for me anyway. So I'm going to read these again, uh, starting in verse 23. So, and I'm going to stop, right? Because so is a word we don't just skip over. So assumes that something else was just said, okay? So Jesus, what did he just say? He just talked about how anger is the same thing as murder, and it deserves the same punishment. He's talked about how murder is not an act with the hands, it's of the heart. So, if you were offering your gift on the altar, 
and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled with them, and then come and offer your gift. Two things stuck out to me as I was reading this that I want to show you today. Jesus addresses two misconceptions. The first misconception is this. Sin is a big-ish deal. Sin is a big-ish deal. All of us would admit that sin is a big deal, but the way that we live our lives looks much more like it's just big-ish. Okay? Within the cultural context, Jesus is showing his disciples something really intense, and it all begins with geography. And so we're going to have a little bit of a quiz today, so bear with me, okay? When we come to this text and we hear altar and we think offering and we see gift, we automatically think Lindsay Lane East, Sunday morning worship service, okay? You think of this as the altar. You think of an offering as a check or money or something you did online, which is an option. Just throwing it out there. We think we think we automatically put it into a 21st century look, and we think, okay, I need to be forgiven before I sing and worship or give an offering to the church. Got it. But Jesus is speaking to Jewish young men. Jewish young men. So let me ask you: Where were the sacrifices made from the first century all the way back to Solomon? Where were we making sacrifices? In the temple. Okay. Check number one. Question number two. Where was the temple? Jerusalem. Okay. Awesome. You passed. The sacrifices, when Jesus is speaking of the altar, there was one altar, the one in the temple in Jerusalem. Jesus is offering, is displaying this sermon. He's sharing this sermon 80 miles from the temple. 80 miles from the temple. At an average of 20 miles a day, which was pretty average during that day, it would have taken them four days to travel at least once a year to go make sacrifices at the temple. Now, with that knowledge, think back to what Jesus just said. Doesn't it change? Jesus said, after you've just walked 80 miles over four days, and you've gotten to the front of the line with your little lamb, you've moved all the way to the front of the line, and you finally get to the front of the line, and you remember, oh, there's sin at home i got to go deal with. Jesus says, leave the lamb. Travel 80 miles back in the same direction you just came over four days, Go talk to the person that you've wronged, make it right, reconcile, then travel 80 miles over four days back to the temple and tell the priest, all right, now I'm good to go. Church, we have greatly underestimated our sin. (laughs) Jesus said it's worth a 160-mile, eight-day trip to make it right before we worship. Good night, we've missed it. And we'll we'll just shove stuff down and go, no, that's cool, it's cool. I can handle that. It's not a big sin. Jesus says it is. We have greatly underestimated. We downplay the effect that sin has on our worship. If it was worth an eight-day trip out of the way, I think it's worth taking serious. It's sadly that that's not what we do. We know of sin in our life, and we just make the excuse that everybody does it. It's not a big deal. I've got it under control. And we act like it's something minor. 
And before you think, I don't know, Heath, I'm, I'm pretty good to like ask for forgiveness before I come into worship. Remember here, Jesus is not talking about the cussing fit that you threw at work on your boss. God's not talking about the fist fight that you got in with your neighbor. Jesus is, the reference is the sin of your heart. The depths of your desires. The most hidden, secret compartment of your heart. The sin that's there that nobody else knows of. That's what he's talking about. And I can just speak for myself and I won't speak for you, but I often come in this place to worship my Father in heaven with those things still there. I may confess a lot of things, but oftentimes I don't deal with the things at the depth of my heart. And it's wrong. Jesus is not necessarily speaking of just outward evident sin, but inward desires. And the moment that you begin to think that your sinful desires are not that big a deal because they don't impact anybody, remember Isaiah the prophet's words in Isaiah 53 that Jesus was pierced because of our rebellion. He was crushed because of our iniquities. Will anybody ever know the desires of your heart? Maybe not. Do they affect the people around you? Probably not. Are they a big deal? Absolutely. My sinful desires were enough that the Son of God had to lay down His life for me. This is what Jesus is trying to get across. Sin is a hot plate. Don't underestimate it. Second thing I noticed, second misconception, is that we only need forgiveness from God. And I'm going to warn you, this one's tough. Okay? This one's not fun. Jesus says that acts against a brother from anger, like murder, insults, name-calling, and even just the sin of anger itself, puts your soul in danger. Look at verses 21 and 22. You've heard it said to our ancestors, don't murder. Whoever murders will be subject to judgment. It sounds general, like maybe he's talking about in the courts. But I tell you, everyone who's angry will be subject to the same judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be subject to the court. Okay, Jesus is talking about legally here. He's not talking about anything spiritual. And then he says, whoever says fool will be subject to hellfire. Okay, there is no analogy for that in the court system. Jesus is clearly speaking of a spiritual separation from God. When we allow sin in our hearts, Christ says that we have endangered our souls. And it's not okay, Jesus says here, to, not, to just ask God for forgiveness and not deal with each other. That's the point. The person in the story is making sacrifices for their sin. They've come to worship God. To literally make sacrifices. To ask for forgiveness. But Jesus says, leave the lamb and go back. And make it right with your brother. We don't typically go to those lengths. I've seen in my life, just to have some fun with this, a little bit of fun. It's kind of intense. I've seen myself be three different types of worshipers throughout my life. Throughout my 65 years of life, I've seen three different types of worshipers. The first type of worshiper I am is when I just show up for worship. And in all honesty, some of you are probably there. Like you didn't think one thing about spiritual things before you showed up today. And that's okay. Like I'm, not, I'm not pointing fingers here, okay? I've been there. I am there sometimes, even as a pastor, okay? Just straight up. This is a struggle that all of us are going to have. We come into worship. It's been a busy week. It's Sunday. We know what we're supposed to do when we get up on Sunday morning, so we go to church. 
but we haven't thought anything about spiritual things. The second type of worshiper I've been are those who show up right with God, right? This is where I've been most of my life. Hey, worship is about me and God. Y'all are just here. Worship is about me focusing on my Savior and what he's done for me, and it's me lifting my voice to him. Y'all, that is gobbledygook. 21st century world has bled into our minds to think that God, your relationship with God only involves you. Read the Bible. Nowhere in the New Testament do you see Paul say, it's just about you and the Lord. No, it's always communal. I showed you last week that almost every time in Paul's letters, the word you is plural, not singular. And so what we got to recognize when we show up, we can't just show up and say, yes, I'm right with God. Yes, I, I can't stand that person over there, and I dogged him out last week. But God, forgive me of those sins. I'm good to go. Let's get our worship on, right? I'm good. This is how we act, but it's not what God's Word prescribes. Jesus says that our relationships with others greatly affect our worship. Remember, eight-day trip. That's a big deal. The third group, I bet you can guess, those that show up right with God and man. This is true worshipers. This is what worship really looks like. They've sought forgiveness from God, but they've also sought reconciliation from others in their life. And I believe this is a much bigger problem going on in all of our churches than any of us are willing to admit. It goes on in my heart more than I'm willing to admit oftentimes. Because here's what I see. I see my, I've seen myself be distracted and disconnected during worship, and I blame it on everything but my sinful heart. And my lack of reconciliation with others. I found this quote in a commentary on these verses this week and I hate it. So I'm going to share it with you. (laughs) True worship is not enhanced by better music, better prayers, better architecture, or even better preaching. True worship is enhanced by better relationships between those who come to worship. Man, you may hate it and you may think, I don't, uh, that hurts. But it's true. This is what scripture says. This is what it says. But this is not how we typically think about our worship. If we come in here with difficulties and grudges and relationship issues with other people, if you do that and if I do that, we should not expect to worship. We can sit here and we can sing and we can give our money and we can even serve in the kids' building. But if there's relationship issues, we can't. You cannot worship. Your sin affects your worship, not just because it's a sin against a holy God, but because it's a sin against other people who were made in the image of God. And we try to remedy this worship problem in all the wrong ways by, without dealing with our sin. And this is why John Piper said, reconciliation is harder than donation. You feel like your worship's lacking? Start serving more. You feel, like you're, you feel disconnected from God? Start raising your hands in worship. Start giving more money. No. That's not going to fix your heart problem. John Piper says that reconciliation is harder than donation. We'll give more, we'll serve more, we'll worship harder, while all the while Jesus has said, just be reconciled. But it's hard. It's very hard to live peaceably with everyone, but that's the call of the church. And when we're not doing it, we're not following God, but the evil one. So, 
This isn't the only thing Jesus says about sin, though. He does say that sin affects our worship. He also says, point number two, sin identifies... Uh, hmm. Sin intensifies when unchecked. So Jesus goes on in his sermon with another uh, hypothetical story with a really, really big point. And it's important to keep it in light of the previous one. So Jesus has begun to shift to these heart... uh, We're definitely still talking about heart issues, but now we're talking about issues that involve other people. And he says in verse 25 and 26, Reach a settlement quickly with your adversary while you're on the way with him to the court, or... Your adversary will hand you to the judge, the judge to the officer, and you'll be thrown into prison. And truly, I tell you, you're going to pay out the nose before you get out. That's Heath translation. So Jesus compares the sin of the heart that affects other people to a financial issue that you have with someone that leads to a lawsuit, that leads to incarceration. Okay. Jesus, his advice here, deal with it before it gets out of hand, right? Jesus is helping us see that if we don't take care of the sin in our life, if we don't make things right with other people, it will intensify. It will compound financial people. If you owe money and you keep it out and you don't pay over a period of time, you owe more money, correct? Okay, we all know we're going to pay for our house four times before we actually get it paid off, right? Because of interest. That's what Jesus is talking about here, that our, our sin in our lives almost build up interest in our lives. And I've seen it for myself, and you probably have too. There's a sinful desire in my heart, and I allow it to go unchecked because it's not hurting anybody. But then it takes up residence, and it builds a house. Not of sticks or hay, but of brick and mortar. It's a strong house. And it gets stronger as every day goes by. And eventually, he moves out. Out of my body into the world. And my sin becomes public because I act on it outside of my body. And that almost always brings physical consequences. This is the nature of sin that we have all seen in our lives. We've all seen sin build and build and build and build, blow up, and then we deal with the consequences. But we act like we don't know that, right? We act like we don't know what sin does. We act like, I can handle it this time, I can handle it this time, and it blows up again. An impure desire leads to a lingering thought which becomes a developed plan and given enough time, an opportunity will arise to act on that plan in an outward physical sin that may or may not have major earthly consequences. This is what we know. We all have seen it. We can all testify. Yet we ignore the issue. Remember, Jesus is speaking directly here about anger and lust in light of people. And so he's pleading with his disciples, make things right with one another quickly. I want to share something with you that I shared. I'm in May and ran uh, Beasley's group on Wednesday night, and we're talking through what every Christian ought to know and just talking through some basic doctrinal stuff um, and just discussing what it looks like in our lives. And um, this is something that God really helped me see. I was chasing all the wrong mentors in my life. Um, I was looking for somebody who, who didn't sin. I thought that was a mature person. Somebody who liked looked good and they didn't struggle with sin. But God's helped me see over time that spiritual maturity is not measured by how few times we sin. Spiritual maturity is measured by how quickly we repent. 
Do you see that? Spiritual maturity is measured by how quickly we repent, and in light of today's message, I'll add, and how quickly we reconcile with those we've wronged. This is spiritual maturity. You show me somebody who harbors harbors ill will against other people with any kind of regularity, and I'll show you somebody with a lot of maturing to do. Our sin naturally intensifies when it goes unchecked in our lives. The third thing is this. Sin blinds us to eternity. Verses 29 and 30. This is where Jesus had been carrying the whole conversation from the beginning. It's all coming to a head right here in 29 and 30. And um, it gets a little bit more intense. He says, uh, he says two things. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. And about both of those things, he said, it's better that you lose one of the parts of your body than your whole body to go into hell. What it appears that Jesus is saying, you want to get out of sin, you want to stop dealing with temptation, cut off the parts of your body that are causing you to sin. (laughs) Signing up? Anybody? (laughs) Me either. It's not self-mutilation. That was seen as a sin uh, to the Jews, and it is. we, 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 we know that this isn't right. So it's not just cut out your eye, cut off your hand, and Jesus even mentions a foot, I think in Matthew 19, somewhere around there. So put your knife down and calm down. But this is where it can be helpful to know some cultural context. Again, the right parts, the right side, the right parts of the human body were seen as the most important, okay? The most important and dominant. That's why the Old Testament talks about God's right hand. We don't know if God's right hand. I don't think he has hands because God is spirit, the Bible tells us. But it speaks of God. And Psalm 89, 13, you have a mighty arm. Your hand is powerful. Your right hand is lifted high. How does the psalmist know it was his right hand? It's not the point, right? It's poetic. It's saying that the powerful, strong, dominant hand of God is in the air, right? That's what it's saying. And so... The Hebrew culture, the right hand was the symbol of strength and functionality. And the right eye and the right foot would have, would have been the same. So when Jesus references the right eye hand and the right eye, he's referencing the best and most important parts of your body. Now listen, so in light of that, when Jesus says, what Jesus is saying is that recognizing and dealing with your sin is more important than losing the best parts of who you are, right? It's dangerous. Sin is more dangerous to you than if you were to lose the most important parts of your body because sin has affected eternity. That's what we're going to talk about. When a human does nothing for their entire life but give in to every desire, even the best parts of themselves, do you know this? There are people who give their whole lives to being a good daddy. Their whole lives to being a good husband. Their whole lives to being a good co-worker. And they will die separated from God in a real place called hell for eternity. Because they've just given in to the desires of their heart. Even the good parts of their heart. That's what awaits them. Hell. So Jesus is saying that there is no part of your flesh, even the best parts that are worth that ending to your life. 
You see, our natural drive is to give in to our deepest sinful desires, but those blind us to the eternity that awaits us. I've never been a drug addict or an alcoholic, but I've got my own sin, right? And what sin does is it gets in our mind, it gets in our hearts, and we're always looking for the next fix because sin is a desire of our heart. And so we always think about drug addicts and, and alcoholics because, it's e- because, because we don't think we struggle. And some of you have been in that. You, you know what that past is like and you know what it was like to, to, to just be looking for the next fix or the next whatever. But I do the same thing with sin in my life. <laughs> I'm just looking for the next fix. Whatever the itch is that's being scratched by that sin, sin keeps us thinking short-term only. We're always thinking short-term. It's like we have these, this wall and we're just trying to get there. Man, but I know sin is bad, but man, it, it makes me feel good. And I just, that's I, all I can see. And I don't see how sin affects my eternity. So yes, it may be drugs or alcohol for some of you or sex, but, but it also can be anger and bitterness and gossip and any number of things that the Bible outlines. It's all a fix. It's all a, des- a, a deep desire that we have. And we are blinded to eternity because of our sin. And that's a dangerous thing. Those who do not accept Christ and allow Him to change their desires, they are not doing that. They are not accepting Christ and allowing Him to change the desires because they are mastered by their sin. Their sin has blinded them to the fact that everything that we see here in this world and every itch of a desire outside of God is temporary. This earth is not all there is. And I fear that each one of these things, sin affecting our worship, sin intensifying when it goes unchecked, and for so many, sin blinding us to eternity, I fear that we don't take it serious enough. And so... But I want you to know today, sin is a big deal. And Jesus says it all begins in your heart. I don't know what the outside of you looks like. I don't know how perfect everybody around you thinks you are. But I know as a pastor who tries to keep the outside clean, I know what goes on in my heart. And I know I've got sin too. We must deal with this issue as individuals and together as a body, remember? Church, I may not have shared anything with you that you didn't already know today, but I pray that the reminder that sin is a big deal is enough to shake you up a little bit. I pray that you are reminded even of the secret sins of your heart, those were bad enough to put Christ on the cross. Even if you never murder or commit adultery, the sins of your heart were enough that the blood of Christ needed to be shed to right your relationship. Maybe some of you have issues with other people in our church or you know someone has an issue with you. One of the things I didn't talk about. Jesus never says in 23 and 24 that you are guilty of what the person is holding against you. Like he almost goes out of his way not to say that. That ups the ante too. What that means is that even if you think something wrong of me that you're holding against me, it's actually, Jesus says, my responsibility to go and make that right. That's, that's a big deal. So you, this may be 
this may be for you. Maybe today that's how God's spoken to you. Here's what I want to ask you to do. Make it right this week. Don't, don't be forced to come back into this building again unable to truly worship because of a reconciliation issue. Let's move forward together in unity in the church because sin affects our worship together. Maybe some of you have sin in your heart that you haven't dealt with. It may not seem like a big deal now, but I promise you it intensifies and multiplies if you don't check it. So you need to today to pray a prayer of repentance and ask God to forgive you and change your desires. And some of you, as we were talking today, may have even recognized that you are still enslaved to your sin. You recognize that your sin has blinded you and that you were unable to, to get rid of those things on your own. Today I got good news. Christ died so that you could be set free of bondage, of sin. I've experienced it. So many others in this room have. And we want you to experience it too. You can turn from your sin with God's help today, calling out to Him to save you, and He will. And your eternity will finally and fully be secure in Christ. Hell is off the table. Instead, a life in eternity, worshiping in the presence of God, is the gift that is given. Today, no matter what God has used this message to do in your heart, I pray that you don't walk out those beautiful gray doors without dealing with it. That's why we have a response time. It's not just to give the band another jam session. We sing this last song to give you time to open up to the Lord. I pray that God has opened up wounds in your heart that that you didn't realize you knew you had. As He has for me. Let's deal with those things during the response time. Let's make plans for reconciliation. Let's make plans. Let's repent. Let's, let's ask God to change our desires. Let's do these things. And as always, um, I'll be down front during the first part of the song, and then I'm just going to slide to one of the front rows. That doesn't mean I'm done and you can't come talk to me. I'm still available to talk to you. We'll also have counselors by the back door that are just trained. Uh, They're just decision counselors. Uh, They're just here to help you think through what God's doing in your heart, talk with you about salvation, baptism, church membership, any of those things. They would love to talk with you. So I'm going to say a word of prayer. And after I pray, you guys please stand with me. And then you respond. You may want to respond by singing, through prayer, through coming to this altar. It ain't as pretty as the one at the temple. But it'll do. It's before the Lord. And so you, you respond as God leads. Father God, we trust, uh, I trust, God, that your word has been proclaimed to the hearts of your people today, God. And I pray, um, God, as you've, you've convicted me and worked in my heart, God, this week to just take serious the sin in my life, God. I pray uh, that that same uh, pricking of the heart occurred for everybody here. And God, uh, I pray that... The people of Lindsay Lane East, God, live differently this week because we recognize how big a deal sin is. It truly is a hot plate that we can't underestimate. So, Father God, I pray that today um, you would help us, God, to respond to you. God, we know apart from you, uh, we, can't even, we can't even repent. We can't even come to you humbly uh, without your help. And so, God, I pray today you stir in us, move us to uh, the next steps you've put before us. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name.